Good morning, church. How are you this morning? We're so happy that you joined us. Um, a couple quick things that we're trying to communicate and communicate better. Um, we do have, well, I guess I should have asked this first. Steve, are we set in the fellowship hall for, okay. 
So if we need to at any point, I know parents sometimes get uneasy with our children, but we want to say we love kids in the sanctuary. It doesn't bother us one bit. Yes, please, yes. Keep them, guys, in, but, but we know if you need a reprieve, we have a space for you as well. Um, and if you can't stand for the whole service, we get it. You do you. You just, you do you, right? You, you know what you need to do. <laughs> we love you guys. Would you stand with us to start? We'll pray and we'll, we'll worship our King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, for this beautiful weather that you've provided us with. And another opportunity, God, that we do not take for granted, that we can come together as a body and worship you, Lord. We bless your holy name today, God. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight it was my doom till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my Till I met you, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day, you called my name. Your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew Jesus when I met you. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day you call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day I needed rescue my sins were heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter I was an orphan now you call me a citizen of heaven when I was broken you were my healing 
Your glory 
again. Come on. Holy Father, this morning as we are here to worship you, we want to especially ask for a greater awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Spirit, we're asking you to reveal to us more of yourself, more of your ministry, your work that you long to do in our lives. God, forgive us for quenching you, for the things that we do, whether it's the busyness of our days, or whether it's outright sin and disobedience, not taking the time to be still with our Bibles open, to listen for your voice. Forgive us for quenching you, for resisting you for not listening and obeying when we know we're hearing your voice speak to us. As we study your scriptures this morning, oh God, would you help awaken our hearts to the reality that there is nothing that we can do in this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Awaken us in a fresh way to what you long to do in and through each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We sure are glad you're here to worship with us. And, and if it happens to be uh, your first time back uh, since the, all the virus craziness, we want to extend a special welcome to you and, uh, and hope that you're encouraged and challenged during this time. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, uh, please join me in Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue, continue our study that we're calling Every Day. Uh, we're talking about being and making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, we're going to talk today about everyday power. If you're a baseball fan, the summer of 1998 was an incredibly crazy summer. David Schoenfield, just writing for, the, writing for ESPN's website, uh, said the New York Yankees began what would be a three-peat with a dominant season. The Atlanta Braves won 106 games and didn't even have the best record. The San Diego Padres' Greg Vaughn hit 50 home runs, and that was good enough for fourth in the majors. Roger Clemens won the Cy Young Award with the Toronto Blue Jays of all teams. The, Tr the Florida Marlins lost 108 games one year after winning the World Series. Cal Ripken's famous uh, game, uh, most completed game streak ended, uh, most played games. Alex Rodriguez had 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. Ricky Henderson, I can appreciate this, stole 66 bases as a 40-year-old. That's incredible. Uh, there was a perfect game thrown by a 35-year-old and a record-setting strikeout performance authored by a 20-year-old rookie. It was perhaps the greatest, most amazing 
and craziest season ever. But what most people remember, if you're a baseball fan, was the home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Uh, these guys began to light up the, the scoreboards with home runs. It started with McGuire just taking the early lead. But Sammy Sosa hit 20 home runs during the month of June, a feat that has never been accomplished before or since. And they ended the years, the end of the season, with McGuire hitting 70 home runs and Sammy Sosa with 66. Unprecedented, shattering the previous record Roger Maris had set in 1961 with 61 homers. And baseball fans stood back and just were in awe. Uh, we didn't know about steroids or didn't want to know about steroids then. And the fact that none of that would have happened without steroids. But uh, it was just an unbelievable roller coaster ride of a season if you were a baseball fan. Now, as much as I, I pitched in high school, and as much as I love a good pitching duel, there's nothing that compares to watching a good uh, blowout with long balls, the home run. Everybody likes to see the home run. It gets the fans off their feet and cheering. I remember as a kid, as a 10-year-old, going to watch the Detroit Tigers, and we were sitting uh, way up in, the, in the, the upper deck, behind, sort of situated behind home plate, and I'll never, never forget, it was August, and a nice, just a hot summer day, beautiful day for baseball, and Cecil Fielder came up to the plate. Remember Cecil Fielder and his couple of years with the Tigers there? And I'll never forget seeing him take a pitch and hit it, we had the perfect angle uh, to watch it go and, and go over the left field roof at Tiger Stadium. The only time that's ever been done in the history of that ballpark. I just remember with my mouth as a, as a kid, just jaw wide open. I'd never seen a baseball travel that far in my life. It was incredible. Everybody was in awe. The, the home run in baseball is something to behold. It's, it, it catches your attention, and it captured the attention of baseball fans in 1998. Well, when it comes to power hitters... In baseball, they, they, they get the headlines. But you know, in, in our spiritual life, we desperately need power too. Not the same kind of power that fuels home run hitters like Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa. A different kind of power, a spiritual power. And actually, as you look at the scriptures, and I just was um, amazed. This is the, the, the most time I'd ever spent kind of studying this concept in the New Testament this week. I was amazed to see how much the Bible has to say about power. And as we think about being disciples and making disciples in the everyday stuff of life, where we live, where we work, where we play, the Bible teaches us that we need power. And the key to spiritual power in our everyday life is the indwelling Spirit of God. That's kind of our thesis this morning. We absolutely must have the Spirit of God alive and at work and active in our life if we're to accomplish anything in our mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is it's an amazing study as you comb the Scripture. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit visited people on occasion, uh, usually temporarily came upon someone and empowered someone for a specific task. But what we have in the New Testament as Jesus comes and ministers is a promise that comes from Jesus that is something unlike any Old Testament saint had ever experienced or, or knew intimately that the Holy Spirit was going to come in a permanent way upon God's people. In fact, Jesus promised in Luke chapter 24, he says, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in this city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, the disciples still didn't have a real grasp about as to what he was saying and what he meant there, but all they knew is that if they hung around after Jesus left, there was going to be a power from God that came upon them. That'd be enough to get me to stay around. That's intriguing. They still didn't get it, though. Jesus reiterates the promise once again right before he ascends to heaven, after the resurrection, right before he goes back to the Father in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. Notice the connection. When is that power coming? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so you see the connection between power and the Spirit of God. And you see the connection between the power and the Spirit of God be, and, and being a witness. The Great Commission, going out and taking the gospel and making disciples. We've got to have the Holy Spirit and the power that He provides in order to make disciples. And so that's exactly what happens. I wish we could trace this throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament, but in Acts chapter 2, you can read about the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way on the day of Pentecost, and people are speaking in, in tongues, in unknown languages, and, and, and everybody, there's a, there's a tremendous uproar. In fact, it's, it's such a chaotic situation that there are actually people that thought that the apostles were, were drunk because it was such a, a, an amazing, miraculous time that, that no one had any point of reference for. So God's Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost to fulfill the promise of Jesus that Christians, His followers, would have the indwelling Spirit. And the New Testament teaches us that if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've been born again, you have the Spirit of God. Again, I wish we had time to unpack the doctrine of the Spirit the Bible tells us, the New Testament reveals that the Holy Spirit has a, a lot of responsibilities. He's involved in a lot of stuff. His, his day planner is absolutely packed. The Bible tells us that he's, he's the one who regenerates us, who creates the new birth. The Bible tells us that he seals us when we are saved, when we trust Jesus. The Bible tells us that he guides us into truth. He unites us with Christ. He convicts the world of sin. He gives gifts to his followers. He baptizes believers. He fills believers. There is an incredible amount of activity that the Holy Spirit is involved in, but we want to just focus on one today, and that is that he lives within you, if, if you're a Christian, and that he wants to empower you day by day. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, this may seem sort of like background noise to you. Yeah, 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 the Spirit. We got it. But I want you to think for just a second, and just, just let your mind go here. The Bible teaches that God lives inside of you. This is not the same thing as pantheism that says God is in everything. This even isn't even the biblical teaching that we see so much in the Old Testament, that God's presence is near. But Scripture teaches that God lives inside of you. Does that move your heart today? God did not have to make that part of the, the package deal. You know how when you're wheeling and dealing maybe at the the car dealership, and you're asking, well, you know, if you throw this in, or, like, God could have said, like, no, you don't get that option. That's, you know, you get 
power steering and power windows, but Holy Spirit's not part of the package. But he says, not only is like my presence not, I mean, the, the, see, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, they knew where, where God's presence was. It's in the Holy of Holies. They, they knew where God was. But it wasn't inside of them. God dwells inside of you. And it, it gets even more amazing when you frame it like this. When Jesus was giving the promise of the Holy Spirit, this is what he says to his disciples. I don't know if you've ever, ever read this verse. I don't think I have it on the screen here. But in John 16, verse 7, Jesus is giving the, the promise of the Spirit of God to the, to the disciples. He's explaining that he's leaving this tremendous gift for them. And he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Really? Jesus Christ himself is telling his followers and us, it is to our advantage that he goes away. How many of you are wrestling to believe that this morning? <laughs> I am. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if, uh, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to get, raise your hands on this one, but if we were gut level honest and you had a choice today, and you could choose between having Jesus sitting next to you in the pew or the indwelling Spirit of God, what would most of us pick? We'd probably take Jesus. How many times have we said, like, oh, I wish I could just have God right here so I could, like, you could just talk to Jesus and ask him these questions. <laughs> but according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is better. Wrap your mind around that for a second. J.D. Greer puts it like this. He says, uh, Jesus claimed that having the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having him beside them. The Spirit of God within us is better even than Jesus beside us. Yesterday, Elisa had been reading in her scriptures, and, and she didn't even know that we were talking about this this morning. I had, hadn't told her that this was the, the focus of our study. And she said, man, I, I just think sometimes I would have loved to have been Moses, to have been able to talk to God. I mean, why couldn't we just have that face-to-face? -face? Truly, it was glorious. And as we talked about this, we... We just came back to the Word of God, and Jesus says it's, it's better. This is better than having Jesus beside us. We have the Spirit of God within us. I want to just encourage you to thank God today that He has given His Spirit to indwell you as His follower. Because none of what we've been talking about the last few weeks is anywhere like remotely possible without the power of the Spirit of God. And so, if we're going to be the kind of people who make 
and be disciples in the everyday stuff of life as we live and as we work and as we play. We've got to ask the question, why we need this power? And maybe it's obvious for most of us. Maybe you've been wrestling through things or struggling with things, uh, and you're like, well, of course we need power. But I just want to give you four reasons why we need the power of the Spirit of God in our life. And, and there's more that we could add to this. But the first one is to grasp spiritual truth. And this is where I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read a prayer from the Apostle Paul in verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. He's just been unpacking all kinds of spiritual realities about which God has has said are true of Christians, the way in which God has worked in their lives. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So he's going to pray for them, that they're going to be able to really have the strength to comprehend these glorious truths. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In those verses, power or strength is mentioned three times. And the first reason that we need to have that power is to grasp spiritual truth. In verse 18, he says that you may have the strength to comprehend. Now some of you are, are, are pretty intelligent people, pretty smart people, and, and, and you, can, you have the ability to wrap your minds around difficult, abstract concepts. You know, having our kids at home um, during this last bit of the school year, during the virus, was uh, maybe a challenge in, in various ways, but probably the biggest challenge was the embarrassment I felt at not being able to understand much of what they were having to do. And so, like, either I can be the humble Christian and be like, you know what, I just, I just don't understand. Or I can be like, hey, you know what, you should probably call somebody, call a friend, and, you know, just work through that together. It would probably be good for you to hear their voice and, you know, just wrestle with that. Man, I just didn't have the mental capacity. I just, I don't, you know, I wasn't that great at it when I was in the game, and now 20-something years out of the game, I don't do algebra. I didn't do it very well then, and I most certainly don't do it now. You're going to have to get a lifeline for that one, buddy. I don't have the mental faculties to comprehend this stuff. But when it comes to spiritual truths, the Bible says that, that we need the Spirit of God to give us the strength to comprehend spiritual stuff. You can be the most intelligent person in the world and not get it. In fact, the Bible says that before we came to Christ, our our spiritual hearts were darkened. You can read about this at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul says, listen, these things are foolishness, foolishness to the unbeliever. We need the the Spirit of God to help the light bulbs go on. The second reason we need the Spirit of God is to fight sin, to do battle against sin. We know that the fight against the flesh, against the enemy, 
of our souls is a serious one. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the Apostle Paul tells us that if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, listen, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit is our weapon in putting to death the yearnings of our sinful flesh. Those temptations to be disobedient, to follow the lusts of the flesh, whatever they may be, they're only combated by the power of the Spirit. There's a reason Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God, that the Spirit is, is what? The sword. The sword of the Spirit. <laughs> he's, he's there for fighting the flesh. Thirdly, we need the power of the Spirit to endure suffering. To endure suffering. He says in 2 Corinthians 12.9, the Apostle Paul writes, and this is in the context of Paul's thorn in the flesh, that just whatever it was, God was not taking away, even though Paul had begged him to. And the response he got from God was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Tells, he says elsewhere, for when I am weak, you are strong. God allows us to go through times of testing and times of trial to show the glory of His strength through us. The Apostle Paul was at the end of his rope. You can read more about this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we've been beat down and we've been persecuted, but we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing power belongs to Him and not us. When you and I feel at the end of our rope, we need, even long before that, to look to the Spirit of God for His power to be made alive in the midst of our weaknesses. One of, our, one of the compliments that we will give in our culture sometimes is that He's such a strong person. She's such a strong woman. God wants us to be able to look at others and say, God is strong through you. God's strength is being made perfect in your weakness. None of us like to walk through suffering. None of us like to walk through difficulties. But don't forget that God wants to use this as an opportunity for His, the, the glory of His power to be made manifest. The fourth one I wrote down is that God wants to empower us to live the Christian life. This is big and it's broad. It covers so much. It covers everything we do as Christians. We need the power of the Spirit of God to be able to love one another well, to be able to sacrificially give, to be patient. In fact, the, the book of Galatians chapter 5 calls this the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the power of the Spirit of God as He's working within you. It lets you be able to love when you don't feel like or have the strength of your, by yourself to love. It's hard to describe exactly what this power is or what it looks like. This text tells us that the power comes from the riches of the glory of God. Verse 16, according to the riches of, the glory, of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened. Tim Keller defines this power as a, a spiritual inner sensitivity to the gospel truth. It's that ability to be able to live the Christian life when everything else around us says that it shouldn't be possible. It's the ability to be patient with someone who is berating you, who is undermining you, who seeks to destroy you. It's the ability to love and to serve on those days when you're physically spent. It's easier seen than it is described. But this power comes from the Spirit of God. And as we think about how exactly God provides this power, I think this text can give us some clues. The first way that this power is made available to us is through humbly submitting our hearts to God. You notice how Paul begins the prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul saying, I, I'm not in control. I, I can't do this. I need you, oh God. That's the spirit that God wants us to have every single day. And for some of us who are stubborn, they're, they're, we're going to have to kind of be beat against the wall a few times, be shaken up, because this is a difficult lesson to learn. We want to fix it ourselves. We want to figure it out ourselves. The first step to understanding the power of the Spirit of God in our life is humble submission to God, being willing to bow our knees. Secondly, he says that it comes through prayer. In verse 16, again, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Paul is asking God to give the Ephesian Christians the strength that they needed. That he may grant you. I wonder how often we build that into our prayer life. God, I need spiritual strength today. I need that power that comes only from you to be able to live this life for you. Thirdly, he says, it comes through God's people. He says, in verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
This is a community project. This is something we're in together. I do strongly believe that our Christian life has to have that quiet moment component. You've heard me talk about that so many times. We must spend time alone with the Lord. We must. But that's not all there is to the Christian life. The Christian life is a community project. And I believe that God uses the community of the people of God to encourage and to strengthen us and to keep pointing us back to the power of the Spirit of God as we work together to glorify Him. And then fourthly, it comes through faith. He asks in verse, 14, verse 18 that they may have the strength to comprehend, that they could really truly grasp. And that comes through faith. That word comprehend means to, to grasp or to wrestle with something. This is a determined meditation on the part of believers. You see, as we hear things in God's Word, as God calls us, if we're listening to the Spirit of God, and let's say He's moving you to share the gospel with somebody at work, and your first thought is, no, I can't do that. And you go into excuse mode, and and some of us, I mean, I'm an expert at this. If you ever need any tips on how to talk yourself out of sharing the gospel with somebody. Bible calls that quenching the spirit. And he says, I want you to be able to grasp this stuff. This is a determined meditation. You see, sometimes faith comes through prolonged, prayerful meditation as your mind and your heart begin to get on the same page. You hear something in the Word of God. The Spirit of God begins to speak to you. And rather than moving on or rather than quenching or setting it aside, you sit in it a while and you say, okay, God, is this what I'm hearing you say to me? And you're grasping it by faith because sometimes it's really hard to see how this is going to take place. It's really hard to see how this is going to transpire in our lives. This is where, as we wrestle with it, we, we, we bring the truth of God to bear on our soul. I love going back to the Psalms and hearing how David talks to himself. You know that, for those, some of you that, that have, uh, have been talking to yourselves the whole, your whole lives, you'll know that it's, I want to encourage you, it's biblical. You can read in the Psalms, in places like Psalm 42.5, David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He's talking to his soul. He says, why are you sad? Why are you downcast? Why can't you sleep? And he says, hope in God, for again I shall praise him, my salvation. He's preaching the gospel to himself. He's proclaiming the word of God to himself. Listen, soul, hope in God. Get your act together. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus. As we begin to wrestle with something that God's Spirit is saying to us, God's Spirit is convicting us of, this is where we wrestle with the eyes of faith to see, to grasp, to to lay hold of the truths that correspond to what He's calling us to so that we can have the courage to step out in faith and be obedient. Sometimes these wrestling matches are split-second wrestling matches because maybe it's not in that 
that quiet time you had with God this morning that the Spirit was speaking to you as much as you're having a conversation with somebody in the middle of the day, an unexpected person you saw at the store or someone swung by the house, and all of a sudden you sense the Spirit of God to, to talk about something, to bring something up. In these wrestling matches, sometimes can be split second, but God, I don't want to, but the Spirit says, you're going to do this, and a truth comes to mind, Scripture that says, okay, you promised that you'll equip me for this. I'm going to grab a hold. I'm going to lay holding it by faith. And I'm going to step out in faith right now and share this with my neighbor. Give this away when I, it doesn't make any sense. That's that inner sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Finally, as we think about how the Spirit of God empowers us. It really does come back to the gospel. At the end of Romans, the Apostle Paul told the believers there, now to him who is able to, what? To strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides spiritual strength. The fact that he died for our sins, took our place, resurrected us in Jesus Christ and gives us new life is the power that we have to live the Christian life. That's why Paul could say in 2 Timothy 2, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So as we think about how to tie this all together into being and making disciples in the everyday stuff of life, here it is, we we've got to have power to be able to do this. If we believe, Matthew 28, the Great Commission is for us, that we've been called to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all people, we've got to have strength to do it. And that strength comes from the Spirit of God who's at work within us. As you read the New Testament, this, God comes at it from all kinds of different ways. But the bottom line is that he has equipped us with everything we need to do what he's called us to do. This is a phenomenally powerful truth if we believe it. If we're willing to lay hold of it, if we're willing to trust him with it. This morning, I want to ask you, are you humbly submitting to the work of the Spirit of God in your life? Do you, do you even recognize the voice of the Spirit of God? Can you hear? If you can't hear the voice of the Spirit of God, there's only a couple options. Either you don't have Him, and that means that you're not saved, or you've been quenching Him so long that you've grown dull to the voice of the Spirit. You don't hear Him anymore. See, the good news about both of those is, though, that they're not permanent. <laughs> you see, if, if you've never received the Spirit of God, you can today by trusting Jesus as your Savior. If you've spent your Christian life quenching the Spirit of God, you can start today to tuning in to His voice, to walk through these things, humbly submitting yourself to Him as you, as you spend time in the Word saying, God, I long to hear your voice. And I believe he'll begin to nudge you. Maybe it'll start with a, a sin that he convicts you of. And you have a choice there. 
go back down the same road of quenching? Ah, well, that's not really a big deal right now. I really, what I really want is to hear your voice. And he says, hold on, you've, you've got this sin issue. I know, we'll get to that later. What I want is like some miraculous revelation from you, Spirit. I want some powerful outpouring, some Acts chapter 2 stuff right now. And he's saying, but that's sin. But that's sin right now. We're going to deal with that. And you have a choice then. You can be like, ah, forget this baloney, this Spirit of God, whatever. I'll just figure it out. Or you can go to your knees in repentance and saying, God, I, I confess this to you. This is sin in your sight, and I turn from it. And as you begin to do that, as the Spirit prompts you, whether it's, it is about sharing the gospel, whether it is about a conversation you need to have with your, your, your children, working a little less and, and enjoying them more, or uh, I mean, a thousand and one different things, a spiritual truth that you've been ignoring, his voice becomes louder and clearer. You see, God is at work, and he's inviting you and I into what he's doing. You see, as the pages turned from the Gospels into the book of Acts, as Jesus ascended into heaven and left the disciples with this miraculous gift, with this supernatural power to fulfill what he called, I love what, I, I noticed something that, that I had never seen before, is the book of Acts begins, Luke is giving his introduction and he says it like this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, which was the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you hear that word? All that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, the Gospels are not the finished record of what Jesus did. It was just what he began to do. And now, through the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus is continuing his work and his mission. And here's the great news. He wants to do it through you and me. In fact, there's no plan B. We've been called to make disciples of all nations, but we can't do it without his strength. I just want to give us a moment here to just bow quietly And give you a chance to ask the Spirit of God to speak. Maybe he's already been speaking to your heart. And he may have a different word for every single person in here. But let's just take a moment in the, in the quiet, right where you're sitting, to talk to God and to ask the Spirit of God to speak.
Spirit of God, give us ears to hear. As we sang that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And God, I pray that we mean that, that we long to see power of your spirit in our lives. Teach us, God, not to fear his voice. God, may we experience this power. Ephesians 1 tells us that the same power that is at work within us is the exact same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So God, I, I don't know what you're saying to individual hearts here today, but I know that you are, you are calling us as a church family to have a razor-sharp focus on this realm of disciple-making. This is not a, a hobby or a side message of the New Testament. This is, this is front and center. This is what you have called us to do. I believe, God, your Spirit is calling us to to keep our eyes on the ball, to not get distracted with so many of the even good things that, that come our way as a church or as individuals, but to continue to sit in and, and really truly grasp what it means to make disciples, what it means to be a disciple and to make a disciple. And I'm asking, Father, that your spirit would speak individually to hearts and show each and every man, woman, and child in this room what that looks like as they live and work and play this week. God, I pray even as we leave here, the temptation is always just to get back to busyness. We go to brunch, we get ready for lunch, we maybe have open houses or family gatherings to go to, or work week to think about. And I just ask God that you would give us such a sensitivity to your spirit that we would remain in this as we go home, before we lie down tonight, when we wake up in the morning, that we would pursue this connectivity with you so that we might know your power in our life, the power that only comes through your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. May God bless you and strengthen you this week. You're dismissed.